Maybe it's your first time, maybe you come to check out New Hope and find out what we're about. Make sure we're a biblically-based church, which we are. Praise the Lord for that. But a special welcome to you and trust that you, like everyone else, have got your uh, notices and the outline of the message. Um, you may have had a bit of a heart attack this morning when you opened up the outline and went, whoa, we normally have two pages and now we've got three. <laughs> and the reason why you've got three pages is, is because it's a long weekend. <laughs> and uh, Pastor Ian actually said that I could keep you here for an extra hour or two if I wanted to, you know, so uh, yeah, I see those hands at the back, put those stones down. <laughs> the reason why I'm up here this morning and not Ian is because Ian couldn't find anyone else to be here this <laughs> Just joking. Uh, Pastor Ian and Kimberly are away this weekend, um, they're celebrating their wedding anniversary, so they have gone away as they only do uh, together and uh, just celebrate and enjoy uh, the institution of marriage and, and their time together as a married couple. So um, we wish them all the best and we know that we're looking forward to, uh, to seeing them next Sunday. So um, I really like being up here in front of you guys because it gives me an opportunity to just be totally uncontrolled. No one can stop me from saying anything and, and embarrassing people. And that's also not completely true because Gerard carries a backpack with him, and in that backpack is a water bottle and a set of handcuffs and a, laser, a taser gun, and he's not uh, scared to use any of those elements. So if I get out of, if I get out of sync here and uh, start preaching heresy, I'm sure you'll see Gerard uh, jump up and deal to me uh, appropriately. But it is really good. So I trust that you've got your pens um, handy and that you would keep that nib really well lubricated because we've got a lot of writing uh, to do this morning and I'm going to do my very best to take us through this uh, part four of the series that we're in. I know that there is people out there that is really enjoying this series uh, that Ian started. We're in the fourth part of it. And I, the reason why I know that is, is because people have communicated to me that they're getting a lot of practical application out of this. And I would encourage you again, as of today, to go back through your notes again. They're absolutely invaluable to just regurgitate that again, get into God's Word, you know, and, and, and really delve really deeper into, into this series that we have, uh, Standing Strong. Maybe some of you have felt as we've commenced through this series that uh, we should be calling it Standing Alone and not Standing Strong. Well, here's the important thing is, is that God never designed us to stand alone, but He did design us to stand strong. And in our relationship with Him, we can stand strong and in the support of our relationships which God has encouraged us to have with each other and just by the way we're being put here on earth for a purpose and a plan and God is out working his purpose and his plan in our life through our interaction with him and our relationship with him but also with our interaction with each other you ever get the feeling that God wants to use you to help someone else right and that's what it's about for us so in the first session we uh, we had in part one we had uh, of standing strong is when your life doesn't turn out as you've planned and we looked at that in that series about how we get broadsided by um, challenges and events that happen to us and we know how important God uses those times to inspect us uh, and to correct us and discipline us 
Part two was is when we are coerced to conform, and we see how important our Christian integrity and our discipline and our courage uh, comes into play there when we are coerced to conform and we live in a society more and more where we're bombarded by advertisements, we're movies that are all trying to grab a piece of our time and a piece of our wallet and trying to force us into a way of how we interact and how we do things and very often and in most often uh, completely opposite to the way that God wants us to react and the way that God wants us to do things. The third part was is when your beliefs are berated and we were encouraged and we know that we need to stand strong under those circumstances and we need to keep learning and how important it is for us to have believers as friends around us that can support us in those times when we make a stand for a biblical principle, God's principle, and people around us tend to berate that. They tend to water it down, make fun of it, poke fun of it, and try to embarrass um, us in those situations. But we need to stand strong, and we need to keep learning out of those circumstances, and we need to have close friends as believers around us. If I can just say this to you as a man, you know, this is where women really get this element of a friendship around them so much better than what we as men do. You know, women have this network of friends and believers that can do amazing things around them. And I know that because I've seen this in action. You know, women can mobilize and create a prayer group like that at a moment's notice. Women can mobilize around each other and support direct and help each other move whereas we as men we think that we have to stand alone we're too embarrassed to talk about the challenges and events in our life and we tend to think that we have to go this alone and we struggle so much more through these circumstances and very often impossible situations that we face and this is we can learn from this that God never designed us to be an island he never designed for us to go through these challenges and these events without any help. Firstly, from God, and it's, that's why it's important that our relationship with God is in a good place and that we can rely on Him and that we keep short accounts with God. And it's also important for us to have horizontal relationships with people around us that can mobilize around us. I unfortunately have to tell you that I learned this concept too late in my life as a man. I feel the benefits of it now because I have a group of three or four guys around me, Christian brothers, that at the drop of a hat will pray and support for me. So I know what that's like, but for too long through my career, um, I, I, I felt that I had to go it on my own, that no one could actually help me. And I did a lot of things in isolation and made a lot of mistakes in isolation that I could have avoided if I really just understood that concept. And this is a learning for you as young, young people that are in school and university. Make sure that you surround yourself with good friends, good mentors, people that can speak into your life in a positive Christian way that you can actually benefit and actually learn from. It is so important for us to be doing that.
So we're in the fourth session uh, today of when, where we're looking at uh, the possibility of when we are facing impossible challenges. Events and challenges in our life that just seem absolutely impossible for us to solve. And our signature chapter this morning is out of Daniel chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles with me, I'd ask that you would turn to Daniel chapter 2. And one of the verses that we're going to look at is from Daniel chapter 2 and verses 10 through 11. It says, The king's advisers complained, No one can do what you ask. What you're asking is impossible. Just a very quick background to this. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that turns into a nightmare for him. And he has this reoccurring nightmare over a few days. And he's really grappling with this. Can't understand what is happening. And he then reaches out and seeks the advice of his uh, fortune tellers, his sorcerers, uh, these, uh, and, and these kind of people um, that are surrounded. And the reason why he does that is, is because that's what Nebuchadnezzar surrounded himself with uh, as well. As we know, Daniel and his three friends were taken into captivity into the Babylonian Empire and they were schooled in the Babylonian ways. And this is one of the things that Daniel and his three friends would have been schooled on was uh, sorcery, fortune telling, uh, all this kind of thing because that was very much a part of the Babylonian culture at the time. And, and they would have been exposed to some of this. So with that in mind... We see that Nebuchadnezzar um, has this, this dream, and I'll read, and you can follow with me, please. Daniel chapter 2 from verses 1 through 12. In the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he had a reoccurring dream that frightened him so badly that he couldn't sleep. So he called all these magicians and psychics and fortune tellers and astrologers and demanded they tell him what he had dreamed. He was in a bad place with this dream and he really wanted to know. So he gets these guys in and he, there's no sweet talk around this. He wants to know. I'm demanding of you that you tell me what the dream is and that you tell me what the dream means. And he puts these guys in quite a, uh, a predicament. Quite a bad situation for them, because in those days, as we know, the king had a lot of power and he could do anything with a, with a flick of his fingers. The king said, I'm having this dream that troubles me. Tell me what I dreamed then and what it means. The astrologers answered, okay, uh, tell us your dream and we'll tell you what it means. But the king said, no way. If you can't tell me what I dreamed, why should I trust your interpretation? If you can't tell me what I dreamed, you're just a bunch of fakes with no real power or wisdom. Then all the king's fortune tellers said, Nobody anywhere can do what you ask, and no king in history has ever demanded anything like this from any magician, medium, or astrologer. What you're asking us to do is impossible. That made Nebuchadnezzar furious, and he said, I'm dead serious. If you can't tell me what my, dreams, what my dream was, I'm going to have you so-called wise men, in inverted commas, tortured and executed, and then I'll have your houses demolished into rubble. So here's the deal, guys. If you can't tell me what I need to know, I'm going to torture you and I'm going to execute you. And just by the way, I'm going to go after your houses and your family at the same time. I'm just going to destroy every link to you because I can do that right 
So these guys, the situation became even more impossible and even more dire for them. The advisors begged, just tell us your dream, then we'll interpret it. But the king said, no, you are all condemned as worthless. And he issued a decree to execute his royal advisors. And here's the punchline, including Daniel and his three friends. So by association, Daniel and his three friends get dragged into the situation. And the king says to his, uh, his commander, just kill a lot of them. Just get rid of them. They're worthless. These are not wise people. They're a joke in my eyes. Just kill them. Demolish their, f their, their homes and their families. Just get rid of the lot. Now that's what I would call a crisis. What's going on here? Have you ever been faced with a situation like that where you suddenly come under pressure and the challenge in front of you just seems impossible? Here's the important thing about this, friends, is, is that the Bible talks about this, but the Bible doesn't say if the situation will happen to you. The Bible actually says when the situation happens to you. Here's the important thing about that is, is that if you haven't faced that in your life yet, there will come a time when you do face it. And there will also be multiple instances where you will be faced with these challenges in your life where the solution just seems absolutely impossible, as it did to these guys. You know, one common trait of, of humans, and it was no different from Nebuchadnezzar, is, is that we all like to know what the future is. It gives us a sense of control, I think, when we try and find out what's around the corner. You know, what's over the next hill? What's out there in the future for us? You know, will I uh, finish university? What kind of a degree will I get? Um, um, you know, will I actually get married? Who will be my husband or my wife? How many children will I have? Will my children turn out okay? Um, you know, uh, will I lose a job? Will I get a job? What will that job be like? Um, you know, how is it going to turn out for me? And, and we have this incessant need within us as humans to know what's out there in the future. And this is not God's plan and desire for us. God, and the reason for that is, is that God's plan and desire for us leading out into the future is to trust Him day by day in each experience. And the interesting thing about our relationship with God is, is that He will only reveal to us in the future of things that He wants us to know. Everything else is in God's hands. And He requires of us to be obedient to Him and trust Him with our future. So there's three things that God says about predicting the future. Firstly, is this point one, no one knows the future except God. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 7 says, no one can tell the future. 10 and 14 says, fools claim to know the future and love to tell anyone who will listen. But no one knows what is going to happen. No one, not someone, no one can tell the future. You ever notice the biggest things that happen to you in your life 
uh, often come as a surprise. You didn't see it coming, didn't see it happening, but it did. You know, maybe it's a sudden change of a job or uh, it's the information you hear about a health scare in a family. One of the family members becomes sick, diagnosed with something that you didn't even know was there. Often these things happen to us and they come by complete surprise. So if God is in control and he wants us to trust and obey him, why doesn't God want to show me what my future is? Well, one is is we don't have the mental capacity to fully understand that. God created us with finite minds and a finite lifespan here on earth. And because of, of the finite way in which we think and the infinite way in which God works, we have some restraints and restrictions on us. Secondly, is, is we don't have the perspective that God has. God works outside of space and time. He's not restricted or constrained by space and time. So we don't have the same future long-term perspective that God actually has. Thirdly, is, is knowing the future might scare you and I to death. It might paralyze us completely if we know the future. And fourthly, and very importantly, is, is God wants you and I to trust him. He wants us to trust him. Write this down. God reveals only what I need to obey him in that moment, and he wants to tr- me to trust him for all the rest. In obedience and trust, God wants us to move through moment by moment of our lives and then trust him with the rest of our future. Anytime God doesn't tell us about our future, so anytime God does tell us about our future, it is to motivate us to serve him today regardless of what everyone else around us is doing. Obeying God is more important than guessing about what tomorrow will bring. There are many people out there today that will go to great lengths to try and find out what the future holds for them. They will visit fortune tellers, get involved in sorcerers, and ask them these questions about their future. How will things turn out for me? How long will I live? When will my mom and dad pass? All these kind of questions they ask. And the big question is, is that we know is, is there are people out there that want to predict the return of our Lord Jesus. Right? And every now and again you'll see some guy on TV going, hey, it's going to be Wednesday the 24th of September uh, 2023 and that's when the Lord Jesus is coming back and people get hooked on these kind of things and they get mislain by these kind of predictions the Bible tells us that no one knows about that day or hour not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the father 
so we can get a lot of clarity and direction and wisdom from the Bible and know exactly what the Bible says about the second coming of Jesus. No one will know. Not even Jesus. Only the Father will know. So when these people hop on TV or you see these reports in the newspapers, you can know straight away that that's a lot of nonsense. Absolute lot of nonsense. Secondly, all psychics and mediums are frauds and fakes. Isaiah 44 and 25 says, I make fools of psychics and fortune tellers and I frustrate the predictions of the astrologers. Their wisdom is foolishness in God's eyes. Do not rely on mediums and psychics for they will defile you by them. I, the Lord, am your God. So every time people get involved with a psychic or a fortune teller of some sorts, what they're actually saying is, is, I don't trust God. I don't trust God with the future. I don't trust the fact that he would know the future. I think these people, I could do better with others. And the warning there from God is, is that we shouldn't, we shouldn't lose perspective of who he is and the important place that God has in our life. I, the Lord, am your God. So God is very serious about avoiding the occult and fortune telling. And it tells us very clear in his word is, is that by getting involved with mediums and psychics, these, you will be defiled by them. They will have a presence in your life. They will have an influence and a control in your life that will drag you down. So why is God against these people? Well, point one, it's dishonest and, they and it's usually for money or fame. Second, it's controlling other people. Thirdly, it's an attempt to control the future rather than trust God. Point three, God says, a test of a true prophet of God is 100% accuracy. Two checks. One, did it happen? And secondly, is it biblical? Deuteronomy 18 says, Do you want to know if a prophet or his message is really from God? Here's how to test him. If any part is false or does not come true, then he and his message are fake, and you should ignore and avoid them. Check their predictions. Isaiah 8 says, Check their predictions against my word. Use my word in the checks and balances. It is so important. What does my word actually say? If we're ever confused or we want to know whether fortune tellers and psychics are good people to get involved in, all we need to do is, is to get into God's word and find out what God's word says about these people. Check their predictions against my word, says the Lord. If their predictions are different from mine, it's because there is no light or truth in them. Never, just like Nebuchadnezzar, when these psychics and fortune tellers got around them and started getting nervous around him, hey, can you, King, can you just tell us what the dream is? We can see how Nebuchadnezzar reacted to these guys. Told them he wasn't going to tell them what the dream was, and nor was he prepared to answer any of, his que or any of their questions. Here's the challenge. Tell me my dream and tell me what it means. As simple as that. If you can't, I'm going to kill you. That's it. 
By the way, I'm going to kill Daniel and his three mates as well. Just round them all up. So never give them any information. Never answer their leading questions. So what are we to do when you're asked to do the impossible? What do you do when we're in Daniel's situation as we read? So point one is, is don't panic or be afraid. When Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. And this became Daniel's fourth test from God. How was Daniel going to handle the situation that he was in? Somebody knocks on your door and says, Hey, I'm the commander of the king, and I'm here to kill you. <laughs> oh, come on in. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. Can we have something to eat first? No, I don't think so. Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. What are you panicked about today? What knock of the door have you opened and you are suddenly facing this impossible situation? I remember not too long ago in, in the business that I was managing at that time, I was faced with this situation about halfway through our business year. I had that knock on my front door and when I opened it up, I found that in the business we had overlooked a certain decision that needed to be made and clarity that needed to be given to people inside our business. And I realized that we as the management team, and I myself as the ultimate responsibility of that, we had made a mistake in not fulfilling that obligation. And the result of not fulfilling that obligation would have severely impacted very negatively on people in my business at the end of our financial year. I looked at that situation and I suddenly thought, this is an impossible situation. How could we have overlooked that? How, as the manager of this business, could I have not taken care of this? And the situation just seemed immediately to me at that point in time impossible. But I knew that the ultimate responsibility of this decision and this situation lay squarely on my shoulders, first and foremost. I was the most senior person in the business, senior person in the country of that business. I was the general manager of that company at the time in that business. And ultimately the buck stopped with me. You know, the interesting thing about when you're facing situations like this and you start, the importance of who you reach out to and who you deal with is so important. And this is why I can testify to the faith of some brothers around me that were praying for me through this situation. I can testify to a wife who was obedient to God and supported me through prayer every single day. And I know how important that is in my life because if I didn't have that around me and I didn't have a relationship with God, one, I had advice from strategic services in my business at the time was just forget about it. Push it under the carpet. Don't bring this up. Just let it run its course and we can hope that this will be solved. Well, you know as well as I do that hope on its own is not a strategy. It's who we put our hope in 
is the strategy. So it went from advice that I got from strategic services in my business of uh, uh, sweep it under the carpet, just hide it, don't bring it out, because if anyone in the management sees this, their heads are going to roll. And what they were actually saying is, is don't bring this out because my head could roll. And when it actually does come out, the only head that really is going to roll is going to be yours, and it's not my head, so I'm really pleased about this. But actually don't bring it up. Don't bring it up at all. So people give you that kind of advice. They get into a self-preservation kind of mode, right? You know, it's all about me. It's about how this is going to look, you know, how am I going to be seen in all of this? Because I actually have part responsibility in this, not ultimate responsibility, but I have part responsibility. Enough that somebody could maybe put me up against the wall and shoot me if they wanted to, right? And I don't really want to be standing next to you in the wall. I want you by yourself, right? So you get all this kind of advice. And with God's grace, I could see and wisdom, I could see through this advice. And I had a decision to make, just like Daniel did. What am I going to do out of this situation? And, you know, I explained the situation to Michelle, and Michelle said to me, well, Martin, you know, this is not something you can just leave. I said, yeah, I said, yeah I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to leave this. I have to take this to the directors of the business globally we have to discuss this we have to find a way out because if we don't i know this is going to come out at the end of our financial year and it is going to severely impact people in my business severely impact them and this is not right the spirit within me just said to me this is wrong you cannot let this go you cannot stick it under the carpet you have to deal with it just like da- uh, daniel did was is that he had to face this challenge head on and I spoke with a couple of good Christian friends around me who were praying uh, for me around the situation and I made the decision I went back into the business and I said to my management team there is no way we're going to push this under the carpet we have to deal with this it's not illegal and it's not uh, it's not an unsafe situation we've made an honest mistake in this regard but we have to take responsibility I have to take responsibility for it and I'm telling you now that I know there's people in the room with me that disagree vehemently with me but I'm going to do it anyway I'm going to do the right thing I'm going to do what God has called me to do and stand up and deal with this situation irrespective of the outcome So just like Daniel in point two, we had to ask why. We had to learn the facts and the motivation for this. Otherwise, we'd remain in a state of panic. Ask why. Get the facts at all the costs. In this case, the king was clearly afraid. This dream had bothered him. It had become a nightmare, and he was really concerned. Maybe your boss is under pressure. And he is putting that pressure on you. You might be in that situation where your boss or people around you just seem to be absolutely unreasonable. Thirdly is is we need to ask for time to get the solution. Daniel knew that he had to spend time with God. Daniel asked Arioch, why was the king the king issued, why had the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Thirdly, Daniel asked for time to get the solution. He went immediately. Daniel did not procrastinate around the situation. 
Once he heard, knew the facts and the motivation, he asked for time to get the solution. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time so that he could tell the king what the dream actually meant. So it's very specific. King Nebuchadnezzar, you've, by implication, you've got us all in the same bag here. I want time so that I can come back and tell you what this dream is. What are you procrastinating about? Because it seems so scary and difficult. Are you hedging your bets somewhere? Do we hedge our bets? Which way do we actually go? We've got the facts. Now we need to make a decision. Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Then Daniel went home and told his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. Then he said, pray to the God who rules from heaven. Will be, pray that the God who rules from heaven will be merciful and explain the mystery so that we and the other advisors would not be put to death. Daniel was very specific about his friends. He said to his three mates, hey guys, we're in trouble here. If, we don't, if, 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 if God doesn't come up with a plan for us and reveal his wisdom to us, right, heads are going to roll. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray to our God who rules from heaven that he will be merciful, firstly, and that he will explain this mystery. Why? So that we and the other advisors won't be put to death. Daniel wasn't just thinking about himself here. He wasn't in self-preservation mode here. He was thinking about the bigger picture. He was thinking about the other advisors, and he was thinking about his three friends. Let's ask that God will be merciful to us and that he will explain the dream. So this can save our lives. So point four is enlist prayer and support from friends. Point number five, pray and expect God to give supernatural help. This is where you've done everything and there is a gap there and only God can close that gap. You don't have the resources, you don't have the money, you don't have the time, and you don't have the influence. You need God's supernatural intervention. To go back to my situation, once I'd spoken this through with my boss and went through all the detail of that, and he was offshore, he, he lived in the States, I had to have a call with him, a very long call, and unpack and, and, and the situation. I knew that there were still people in the business that wanted to sweep this under the carpet, and they were maneuvering in their own way to try and just keep this thing all cuddled up where no one could see it. And I was very, very clear with my boss about what the situation was and what I thought the solution needed to be in this situation, and that I took complete responsibility for that as the general manager of the business. A very, very difficult discussion that I had to have because he didn't say much. He just listened and he said, okay, Martin, I've got the facts. Um, I'm going to come back to you. And I know that he solicited information from the president of our business. This is how high this situation had become. Not that we'd done anything devious. We'd just overlooked something. It was a really honest mistake that, we had, that, that had happened. There came a point with me that I knew that I'd influenced the situation so far and there was a gap here. And I knew that that gap could only be closed by God. No one else. 
I couldn't influence the president. I couldn't do anything else of the business. I didn't have the money or resources to fix the situation. And it was going to cost money and time and resource to fix this. We had an obligation to sort this out. And I remember kneeling next to my bed. It's probably one of the few times in my life where I prayed for so long and so earnest that the tears rolled down my face. I don't know how long I was there, but I prayed and I kept praying and praying and praying. The interesting thing that was is that came out of that prayer was as God asked me this question. In my mind, he said to me, Martin, how much do you think I love you? I'm going like, God, hey, the problem's over here, God. What are we doing here? You know, what a question. You know, where's the solution? Here comes the question again. Every so bit louder, Martin, how much do you think I love you. Lord, what's going on here? Are you not listening? This is the situation. You know, that, you know that I love you. Third time, screaming in my mind was this question, Martin, how much do you think I love you? I remember just stopping and I said to God, I know that you love me with all your heart. And I know that you went to that cross for me and that you died for my sins and you rose triumphantly again. God said, so how much do you think of time and effort I'm going to put into this problem for you? And I knew at that point in time I'd come and God was saying to me, Martin, I love you with everything that I have and I'm going to close this gap for you. You have to trust me. There's nothing else that you can do except pray, get your mates to pray, and I will close that gap for you. I stood up from that bed with that absolute assurance and confidence and strengthen my feet to move because I realized that while I was praying down there, I couldn't move. I was that paralyzed with the situation. The tears were running down my face. And I said, Lord, I can't do this. And God stepped in and he took control. Call to me and I'll answer you. And I will show you marvelous and wondrous things that you, never could, uh, that you could never figure out on your own. James chapter five and verses five. Uh, James chapter one and verses five to seven says this: If you need wisdom, ask God, and He will gladly give it to you. He won't resent you for asking. But when you ask, be sure that you expect Him to answer. God had to grapple with that situation with me to say to me, Martin, I hear your prayers, but are you absolutely sure in your heart that you know that I love you and that I will answer you? You have to mean business with me. You can't just say these words and cry these tears unless you mean business with me. If you mean business with me, I mean business with you. For a doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is tossed by the wind. People like that should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. God's word is so clear to us on this issue. We cannot go into a situation of impossible and panic in a double-minded way 
and wonder whether God is in control. We have to know and be sure within ourselves that God is absolutely in control. And I know at that moment in my prayers that God dealt with that situation with me. And I had to confess that he was Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and that he was in absolute control. That's the only way that I got up from that bed. Point number six, we need to worship God. Get the focus of yourself, off yourself, and onto God. Daniel spent that night praying and worshiping God. We read in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 19, During the night God revealed and explained the mystery of the dream to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. How about us? Are we prepared to stay awake all night praying and asking God for help? Are we prepared to get into that situation and just say, Lord, time out here. I'm not going to leave this conversation with you until I know and understand that you're in control. I really want the answers to this. Or do we sometimes treat God like he's just one of the possible solutions? There are other solutions to this that I can go to. And God, you just, by the way, you're just one of the solutions. I can open up the box and I can let you out and I can put you back in the box again. God's going, no, <laughs> that's not what it's about in my relationship with you. Jeremiah, God tells us that he has a plan. He has a good plan for us. Daniel shows how to worship God when you're asked to do the impossible. Three quick things. He praised God for who he is. Then Daniel praised God, saying, Our God, your name, will be praised forever and ever. You are all-powerful, and you know everything. Secondly is, is, Daniel knew how important it was to honor God for what he does. You control human events. You give rulers their powers, and you take it away. You are the source of wisdom and knowledge. You explain deep mysteries. Because even the dark is light to you. Nothing can hide from you. You see everything. You are the God worshipped by my ancestors. There's history here. I come from a history of people who know who you are. And I'm part of that current position and the future of knowing who you are and what you can do. Thirdly, thank God for helping me. Daniel knew how important it was to give thanks. Now I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me when I asked of you and revealed to me what the king demanded. Thank you, Lord. This is not about me. This is about you. Point seven. Use what God shows me to save others. In verse 24, it says, Then Daniel rushed to Arioch. There was a sense of urgency around him. He knew what the answer was. He rushed to Arioch, and the heads were on the line, who had been ordered to execute all the king's advisors. And Daniel said, Call off the execution and take me to the king, and I will explain the meaning of this dream. 
it's got this sense of urgency to it now. I know what the solution is. God has revealed it to me. Let's get on and get it sorted. And, I, and, 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 and you know, when I came away from that situation at work and I knew that I'd done the right thing and I knew what the answer was, there was a sense of urgency around me like you wouldn't know to drive this thing through and to make sure that it got solved in the right way. And praise God. Praise God. This got solved in the right way. My boss phoned me up, who wasn't a Christian, and he said to me, Martin, I just want to tell you that I'm impressed by the integrity, the courage, and the discipline that you showed under the circumstance. A very difficult situation. And he said to me, I know that people around you that should have been giving you local support were jockeying to keep this thing under the table. They were trying to influence another outcome for them. I know this because this had happened inside the business. But I want you to know that we're going to solve this. We're going to help you solve this, and we're going to grow through this situation, and we're going to get out of the right outcome of this situation. And I could just say, Lord, all glory and honor to you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for closing that gap when I couldn't. Thank you for doing the rest when I had done my best. Thank you, Jesus. Our story continues. Then Arioch rushed Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives of Judah who can tell you the dream and the meaning of it. The king said to Daniel, Is this true? Can you tell me my dream and what it means? Point eight. Point people to God. Daniel replied, No wise man or psychic or fortune teller or astrologer can explain the mystery of your dream. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and has chosen uh, to show you all that has happened in the future. And now God has revealed this mystery to me, not because I'm smarter than anyone else, but for your benefit, so that you, O king, may understand it. Daniel gave all the glory and all the direction to God. Had nothing to do with him, but everything for God. It's important that we acknowledge God's involvement in these challenges. So finally, the king's response to Daniel was, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar bowed to the ground before Daniel and worshipped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices of burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. Then the king promoted Daniel to a high position and gave him valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king also appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. What a great outcome for Daniel. Facing this test, facing this impossible situation, Daniel in his wisdom turned to God immediately. He didn't panic, but he turned to God and he sought God's direction and his wisdom. And then he gave glory and honor to God outward expressing the fact that God is in complete control. What is it like for you and for me today when we're facing these situations? Are we going to stay in a state of panic and procrastination? Or are we going to step out and say, Lord, 
I want to give you all the honor. I want to give you all the glory. I need your help. I'm crying out to you in desperation in this impossible situation. And I'm asking you to close that gap. I'm asking you to show me what the facts are. Show me how to gather the facts. Show me how not to panic, but how to bring the situation to you and rise with your help and with your strength and your power to rise above the situation. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love and your mercy and your wisdom upon us, Lord. We just thank you for um, so many good and wonderful things that you're prepared to do for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can learn from the life of Daniel today. And we know, Lord, that when we're facing a, an impossible situation, that we can do so on a strong foundation, on your foundation, Lord. Help us not to seek the advice of magicians, sorcerers, fortune tellers, but Lord, to come to the foot of your cross and to talk to you, not to use any long-worded words or sentences, Lord, but to be absolutely truthful and honest in front of you, Lord. And to come to you and know without a doubt, without a double mind, but to know for sure that you can take care of this impossible situation. That you can be specific, that you can be merciful, and you can reveal the solution to us. Lord, help us never to forget that it's your solution and that you're using us as part of that solution. And that you will, that we need to give you the glory for this, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can trust you for this today. In your name, amen.